This is a Federal News Network podcast. The bottom seems to be falling out of the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for federal contractors. Seven states originally filed lawsuits against it, and now a judge in Georgia has blocked the mandate nationwide. For one view of what contractors should or can do now, we turn to Jenner and Block partner Matthew Hawes. Matthew, good to have you back. Hi, Tom. Nice to be back. And when we spoke, it was kind of in the beginning of the wave of the pandemic. Now we thought it would be over by now. But now we're living with the mandate. And so is this thing in effect, the mandate for federal contractors? Is it not in effect? What should people do? Sure. It's been a very busy few months uh, coming on the heels of a busy almost two years now for federal contractors. When you and I spoke in the spring, we were talking about the performance impacts of COVID on federal contractors, how they were dealing with delays to performance, increased cost relating from COVID, and they've continued to face those challenges. We, of course, are all seeing supply chain issues, and federal government contractors aren't exempt from those either. And then in the midst of all of that comes this contractor COVID mandate. The Biden administration issued that mandate in September, as you know, went through a somewhat complicated rulemaking process where guidance came out from a separate body at the end of September. And contractors have then been spending the last few months implementing their compliance plans, figuring out who this should apply to, how they're going to track workers, how they're going to collect the information that they need to collect Of course, the Biden administration did that in order to improve economy and efficiency in federal contracting. That's the standard that they cited. And on the one hand, that's, of course, a welcome idea for federal contractors. Obviously, many business leaders beyond federal contracting have stated that it would be wonderful and ideal if all of their workers, indeed, if the entire country were vaccinated, they think it would help their business and it would help the economy. And so certainly everyone supports that. On the other hand, of course, it was another complicated thing for contractors to have to work through, especially in the midst of the burgeoning politicization around vaccines and all of the other administrative and management challenges coming out of COVID. So in the midst of all of that, of course, this is America. And so to paraphrase de Tocqueville, in America, every political question ultimately becomes a judicial question. And so we knew that these issues would end up in the courts. And over the last couple of months, several lawsuits have been filed. And we've now received some initial decisions in those lawsuits. All right. Well, then there is a mandate from the administration for those purposes that you cited. And there is a judge in Georgia that has, in effect, blocked it nationwide. So do contractors, in your opinion, continue with the mandate? Do they ignore it? Is there some middle path? Because it sort of sounds like they can win or lose no matter what they do. I think that's right. It's actually been an interesting evolution. So even before we got the court cases, you had the administration talking more about flexibility in implementing this requirement. It started several weeks ago with talking about airlines and whether Christmas would be canceled. And you got some statements out of the White House regarding the fact that that's not the intent of the policy and that there would be flexibility in its implementation. Since then, we had some questions and answers on the federal website addressing this mandate that also expanded on that theme of flexibility in how you implement it. 
So contractors were already starting to figure out the specifics of enforcement of this policy and how they could do that in a way that wasn't overly disruptive. Then, of course, as you note, we had the courts step in. First, last week, actually, the Eastern District of Kentucky issued a preliminary injunction that suspended enforcement of the vaccine mandate in three states, in Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee. And so that was kind of the first indication of what we might see coming out of courts. And it also provided a template for other judges to look at as they reviewed similar cases filed in other federal districts. I'll start, I think it's important to start, given the politicization of vaccines, with how that judge began his opinion. He was very clear to try to step back from the politicization. And he started off his order by saying that his case had nothing to do with whether vaccines were effective, that they were effective. It also had nothing to do with whether the government can require vaccination, some governments in some circumstances, that it's absolutely settled that governments can do that under certain circumstances. And instead, he focused on a very narrow question that's interesting to government contractors, which is what can the president do under his statutory authority under what's called the Federal Property and Administrative Services Act when it comes to something like vaccines? And ultimately, the judge in Kentucky decided that this sort of a mandate, which he viewed as, in effect, a public health action, was beyond the scope given to the president under that statute. Now, that's really interesting for federal contractors because that statute has been used for decades to implement a wide variety of executive orders and other federal government contract rules. And so now you're seeing it being challenged directly. And we have now the judge in Kentucky and then a judge in Georgia finding that that statute certainly doesn't extend in their mind to something like a vaccine mandate. We're speaking with attorney Matthew Hawes. He's a partner at Jenner and Block. So should contractors then move ahead with their own mandates and say, I don't care what the law or the administration says, we want you to do this, assuming that's legal. Do they follow the judge and say, well, sorry, the court threw it out? Or do they follow the administration anyway and figure if that eventually prevails, then they'll be okay with the government as a customer? That's exactly the question on every contractor's mind, Tom. And it's a very complicated landscape. So on the one hand, we now have a nationwide injunction against the federal government enforcing the contractor COVID mandate. So we know that the federal government can't enforce it. But that doesn't mean that private companies can't have their own corporate mandate. So certainly a company, a contractor can decide to proceed or to implement its own mandate subject to one caveat, which is that, of course, several states have started to put in place restrictions on corporate vaccine mandates. And the situation is more complicated for contractors operating in those states. So prior to yesterday's ruling, a federal contractor could rely on the fact that there was federal preemption, that the supremacy clause meant that the president's executive order would trump those state laws. Now that that executive order has been enjoined, 
they no longer have the benefit of that argument. And so it gets very complicated where they're in a state with those sorts of restrictions. Outside of those states, they're free to continue on. Now, the other note I'll make is about what the federal government's going to do. So it's certainly true that the federal government is likely to appeal. They'll seek a stay of this injunction, and they will very likely proceed up through the courts of appeals, probably ultimately to the Supreme Court. In the meantime, though, we may see the federal government decide that it will stop including this clause in new contracts and solicitations. So the Department of Defense actually came out with guidance after the ruling in Kentucky saying that it would suspend including the clause in its contracts that were performed in those states. And I expect we're going to see that expanded nationwide. So as a practical matter, you're exactly right. Contractors have a decent amount of freedom to maneuver. They're likely to be able to proceed with new contract actions without that clause being included. And they also have the option of continuing their own mandates if they see fit, subject to that caveat about some of the states that have state-level preemption. And as a practical matter, in some industries, just maybe the nature of the industry that's serving the government, most people are vaccinated anyhow. And then in other areas, other types of industries, there's a low level of vaccination. So maybe the answer for a given contractor in part depends on the level of vaccination that's happening in its employees. That's exactly right. We all go right to the mandate, but there's obviously a more interesting, complicated strategic picture here. Some contractors that are, say, in the D.C. area with higher vaccination rates, maybe in an industry related to IT services, are making the strategic decision that they feel they're better off with a corporate-wide mandate. They can basically rip the Band-Aid off. They get a competitive advantage going forward because they can more accurately predict their future labor issues, their ability to come up with costs for contracts. And so they're actually quite content to move forward in order to gain that competitive advantage. Other industries and other parts of the countries, manufacturing in particular, are facing much greater challenges. And so, of course, they might have different strategic interests. So it sounds like this is a kind of complicated area for the law firms, such as yourself, to say anything overly definitive to a given client. We certainly haven't been sleeping very much, Tom. Lots of calls, lots of discussions with clients. It's actually been interesting, though, because we are able to help clients sort through those strategic issues in addition to the legal issues and come to a place that's really best for their business. And that's what makes my job most fun. Attorney Matthew Hawes is a partner at Jenner & Block. Thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure as always. Thanks, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. 
Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own. But he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? 
you have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Pop quiz, what can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte, but for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. 
While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.